Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with former Stoke City Technical Director and current USL Sporting Director, Mark Cara. Before we introduce today's guest, here's a snippet of what to expect. And I do encourage this in young coaches that make sure that you've got values and you've got principles as a human being. Um, Because rather than just switching it on when you're in front of a group group of players at a coaching session or a match day, you've got to live that life. I think the best people, they live that life. They don't just turn it on and off when they get to the training ground. That's, That's the way they are. And it comes across so natural and genuine and, and, and it just paints a great message. We're excited to welcome Jack Trainer onto another episode of the Golders Podcast. Jack is a highly respected coach and coach educator who previously worked at Bolton Wanderers with the FA and more. He's now a coach educator at the university campus, a football business, helping the next generation of coaches on their journey. Jack. Welcome and thank you for coming on to the Golders podcast today. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here, David. So first question for you. To us, Goldust is about sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does Goldust mean to you? Well, it's a great little sort of expression. And as the name suggests, it's really about that that kind of special ingredient that you sprinkle on something. Um, and, and it makes people feel not just comfortable, but it makes them feel makes them feel good. It can be life-changing or it can be simply inspirational and, and motivates individuals. And, and in my case, with um, developing players and coaches, it's about being someone that can make a positive impression on the people I'm with and hopefully help them on the journey. Well, Jack, I know you and I have become very good friends over the years. Uh, I know your your past history, but perhaps you can take us on a a whistle-stop tour of your your background as a pro player and uh, and as a coach educator. Wow. How long have you got? Um, Yeah, I... um, Well, I was sort of born and raised in Glasgow. I was... uh, my mother was a single parent with five kids, kind of lived in a, a two-story tenement like most of the people in the inner city part of Glasgow. And, and football was a massive outlet for me, Keith, as it was for many other people. I mean, way back in the day, we didn't have television, so half your life was spent outside kicking a ball, um, you know, in the streets, playing with your mates. And, and we just used to go and borrow balls. So... I sort of moved from there uh, and had a career uh, as a professional footballer. It was, it was a lifelong ambition. I love football so much and have great memories and a great introduction to the game. But I played uh, for 13 years and I never played at the top echelons of the game. I never played in the Premier League, but I did play uh, with Halifax Town, who'd just been relegated from the third division that season in 1976. I spent three years there and uh, played over 100 games and I scored five league goals. So you can't take that away from me. So that's my other little sort of nice bit of keeping me back pocket. And then I, and then I had a kind of bits and pieces journey with Berry, with Rochdale. 
and, and with Markham as well. But the, the kind of exciting part of, of my professional playing career was having the opportunity to play overseas. And I played in places like Hong Kong and Finland in Southern Ireland, and, and they, were, they were wonderful experiences. Um, I also had, not only did I experience the different cultures and the different management styles of the people that I kind of worked with at the time or who were managers, but I had the opportunity to play against uh, some of the best players in the world. I played against Pele and Eusebio whilst in Hong Kong. I played for the representative teams. And then... I kind of, when I finished my playing career, I had only ever played football since leaving school. And so I had no qualifications and I'd never really planned for anything, Keith. And, and when that time came, I was uh, in a bit of a quandary as to what to do. Um, and then I kind of embarked on a, a, a kind of coaching journey. Uh, I'll go into it later, how that sort of transpired. But um, it ended up with me taking my uh, advanced coaching license, the old full badge at Lillyshaw uh, that you'll be very familiar with. I did that, I think it was 1990. Um, and then shortly afterwards, I was invited by Roy Tonks, who was the, uh, the development officer at Lancashire FA. He'd asked me, he said, if you, get your, if you get your advanced coaching license, Jack, I'd love you to run a course. And I did my first prelim course, my FA prelim course, which was the equivalent to the FA level two. I did that here in Bolton, at Bolton Lads and Girls Club, just shortly after getting my uh, advanced coaching license. And that kind of started me on the journey. Um, and I ended up, up until this year, where I kind of retired from working with the FA, that gave me a total of 31 years as a, as a coach educator with the FA. Um, but I also, I then sort of um, moved on and did my A licence. I did that in 1996. Then in 1997, I joined Bolton Wanderers. Firstly, as a, as a part-time coach in the academy, Martin Dobson was the manager then. Um, but then in 2004, I, uh, I took over a full-time role as the coach education manager. And, and I've got to say, being at Bolton Wanderers was uh, an absolutely terrific, period in my life for the vast majority I spent 17 years there and I'd have to say that the vast majority of those years those years were, were truly wonderful it was a, a really vibrant and, and wonderful place to be at that point in time and then most recently I, I kind of moved and where I currently am I'm, I'm working at um, UCFB University Campus of Football Business I'm based at the Etihad Stadium it's a business that's grown immensely. When I joined the business in 2016, they were working from Turf Moor um, at Burnley. Uh, they've broadened out since then. They moved to the Etihad in 2016. They opened at Wembley. They've now got places in Miami and Toronto and Melbourne. And, and it's a real sort of grown concern. So that's where I currently am. I've been there since 2016 and, and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm doing, doing a similar thing to what I've been doing. It's the coach education side of things, but uh, it's really been terrific. So that's a kind of whistle-stop tour, if you like, of my playing and, and coaching career. Well, Jack, something that wasn't touched on there. So after finishing playing professional football, you actually went into the prison service. Yeah, that's right. Can you just share how that experience helped shape 
your character and what you did moving forward from there? I absolutely. Um, well, it, it came about in a really strange way, David. Um, I said to you earlier that I have no qualifications, wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. And at this time, by the time I went to, to sort of Markham, um, the, it was part time. Um, you know, the, the money was sort of dwindling. I was kind of almost falling out a little bit. I love my football, but I was certainly looking at some sort of job. And Lo and behold, uh, uh, a family moved next door to us and the, the, the lad, a lad called Graham Smith, um, he got in conversation with my wife and sort of said, my wife was saying he's finding it difficult to sort of get any jobs and things that, that you know, haven't been in football so long. And Graham suggested, he says, well, in the prison service, they have a, a PE branch. Is Jack never considered that? And of course, if anybody had said to me while I was playing football that I would be joining the prison service, and I kind of laughed and said, well, there's no way that that would happen. But strange things happen. Uh, and I, uh, I came across a brochure. And in that brochure was a guy called Terry Cooper. Terry had been a player at Bradford City, not, not the Terry Cooper that played at Leeds in England, another Terry Cooper. He joined PE branch and I... I managed to get in contact with Terry and he said to me, he says it was the best thing he ever did. So I joined the prison service and then eventually joined their PE branch and, and the PE branch, well, it, it was a two year course, David, 18 months over two years. We, we went to, um, we did mountain leadership at, at uh, Plassey Brennan. We did uh, canoeing and rafting at the National Water Sports Centre in Nottingham, at home pier point. We did basketball, volleyball, all these other sports that I wasn't familiar with, uh, even gymnastics. So I had a thorough education in PE um, and it served me well. But, but more important than that, what, what the prison service gave me was confidence. Um, I kind of lacked confidence when I was a very young player. I, I started to become much more confident as I grew older. But, but what the prison service gave me, they did a lot, put a big emphasis on class teaching. Uh, and, and it gave me the confidence in front of groups. And you've got to remember that when you're working in the prison service, you're working with some of the most um, dysfunctional people that society has to offer. So when you're doing PE sessions, you know, you've got to be really on, on the ball with it. And there's no doubt that joining the prison service and going through PE training served me ever so well when it came to going and doing my advanced coaching license and, and, and further to that, going on and being confident to go out and deliver to large groups of people. So it was a life-changing experience, and uh, I've, I've got a lot to thank them for the prison service. It sounds, Jack, as that foundation in working in the prison service, working around structure, uh, has actually bolted quite nicely into the coach education and coach educator that you became and, and yeah. still actually work quite heavily at UCFB, which you've mentioned where you currently work. But yeah. let's delve into a little bit more about what that can role looks like and what does it entail? Because you're working with students. Yep. And you're educating, I think, one of the greatest qualities in knowing you as I know you uh, is the detail. You, you love the detail. And in today's society, particularly in around sport, and in this case, football, 
So share with us what you do. Uh, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, my role at uh, UCFB is one of coach educator. That's that's my role. So primarily the role is supporting the practical elements of the students' degree programmes. And you've got to remember that um, at UCFB, they, they do a range of, of different degree programmes, um, not, not just in football. We do do football coaching and management. We do do all sorts of, of other uh, areas involved in coaching. But they also do media. They also do PE. They also do sports science. The students who come on to the, the programmes are looking for entries into the football world specifically, but generally um, the sporting world. So, so my role is to support the practical elements of that. And when I first went there in 2016, we ran the FA programme. So I used to run the FA Level 1 and the FA Level 2 with the students. First years did a level one, second year students would do a level two. Eventually I was hoping to try and get the B license running there, but um, but the FA sort of moved the goalpost a little bit, as you know, and, and they weren't too keen in sort of uh, letting, letting uh, private companies, if you like, deliver. So so I sort of ran the FA courses in conjunction with the, um, the practical uh, degree courses. Uh, but that finished as when the pandemic came on in, in 2019. So what I do now is I continue to run courses alongside to supplement what we do with the students when they're doing their academic practical stuff. It's pretty much the same thing, Keith. But what I've done is I've introduced my own courses. So we have a UCFB level one, a UCFB level two, a UCFB level three. And these courses are based very much on the old FA courses, you know, where we have, um, we kind of have strict standards in terms of the attendance, um, the students aren't allowed to miss three sessions. And this is a little bit different for them because on the academic degree programs, they paid the money for that. So sometimes they do miss, sometimes they don't, but I'm trying to gear the courses up to those students going into the industry. And if you're going to get into the industry, it's important that you have high standards. Punctuality is massive. There's also a standard in terms of competence. So I've written in a little um, sort of performance criteria that the students need to reach. So it is a pass-fail course. And, And you'll be familiar with that because that's the sort of way that it used to be with the FA. And I think it's really important to put those standards in you know, and, 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 and be competence-based, uh, I think they're, they're ever so important. So that's my, that's my kind of title. That's my kind of day-to-day role. And I've got to say, I love it. I, I, as, you, as you know, I, I've mentioned to you before that this year I gave up my, uh, my time with the FA. I thought after 31 years, I didn't like the direction things were going. So I'm very happy at UCFB and I'm, I really enjoy working with the staff there Many of them are are, are FA tutors, uh, they're FA coach educators, and I enjoy working with them, but I really do enjoy working with the students. Well, Jack, you're a very highly respected coach developer, and in your time, so you've done your 31 years with the FA, there have been a lot of coaches and students that you've worked with that have progressed up through the coaching ladder and gone on um, to further enhance their career. So for you, how, how does it feel when you see one of your students or one of the coaches that you've actually helped develop 
progress up that ladder? It's tremendous, David. And, and I think back to many years ago, an old mentor of mine used to say that um, the pupil should always be better than the master. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because good teachers want the pupils to be really much, much better than they are. Um, now, that's easier said than done because not all of the students that you have in front of you, whether that be on a, a coaching course or on a, an academic degree program, not all of them are, are going to end up uh, with that sort of goal. But but you do get some diamonds. And, and I think I've certainly been lucky enough to have encountered some students on courses that I've taken who are now working in the higher echelons with the FA in the Premier League. And there's others that are really aspiring to get to good places. Um, I always sort of say to the students um, when they first come in, when I do my introductory session with them, I'll always sort of bring in, um, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? And of course, all the students will be talking about they want to be in the Premier League and they want to be working with Premier League teams and the great aspirations I always say that to him, hold that aspiration. That's a really good dream to have. But what they've also got to remember is that it's a journey and it's a long journey and it can be a disappointing journey. And there'll be many challenges on the way. So, so you've got to be prepared for that. And rather than think that I'll hop on to a course, uh, I'll pass that course and then next year I'll go on to this course. And, and within five years, you effectively... So some of them think that I'll be on an A-licensed course. Well, of course, there's, there's nothing further from the truth. You've got, to, you've got to be comfortable at moving into the next level. So in answer to your question, yes, I have had um, students uh, who are currently working full-time in, in great positions. I've got other students that are as keen as most of them. I'll just slip in a, a little story of now. One of the students now who's gone into his third year here at UCFB, he's a Spanish lad and um, he's so keen. And uh, he's actually going to come on to the master's programme next year, but on one condition that he can be mentored by me. And he wants to attend all the classes. He wants to learn. He's got a real thirst and a hunger for learning. So, so when you work with people like that, the diamonds, they really are diamonds because they've got a great work ethic. They, 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 they'll work the socks off. They'll go out the way to sort of develop themselves as coaches. And, and it's a pleasure to work with people like that, as it is a pleasure to work with everybody that comes on courses because they may not always be working in the higher echelons. It might just be that they want to work at grassroots in a club but I think if you can help those people achieve their goals and ambitions, it's a, it's a fantastic job to be in. Jack, you weave detail into, into sessions because I've been, I've been privy to be, to be part of that. So can you break down what, because you have a lovely way in articulating a methodology or the formula, a coaching formula for for coaching sessions, what does it look like? How do you put that across to a cohort of students who've never come across this before? The first thing is when you're sort of planning a session is that you need to look at the needs of the group, the individuals and the team. And 
And what is it that you want from your players? What, what are the key outcomes that you want from the session? And then you start to develop and devise your session. And, and the sessions have got to be appropriate to whatever age you're coaching, to the ability level, whether it's an indoor session, whether it's an outdoor session. They've got to be challenging. But most of all, for me, they've got to be engaging from start to finish. And what I talk to students about, and, and I've always sort of done this because I did it myself, is that can you visualise the session? The easiest thing in the world is to go and look at a session plan that maybe Barcelona, Manchester, or whoever does. You, you can see a session plan and you just write it out. But I think you've got to visualise what the session will look like. Just put yourself in that position. Start to sort of visualise. And a big thing for me is being able to cater for what I call the what-ifs. Because... Nothing runs smoothly. Nothing runs to plan. And when you're coaching, say, in free play, which is the hardest part of coaching for me, when, you, when you're coaching in, in free play, things, things don't go as planned. You've got to have alternatives. You've got to be able to help your players when things are not working. So you yourself need to think about, what if that doesn't work? What else could I do? So. So there's a lot of stuff that's going into just planning the session when you're visualising, when you're thinking about what-ifs, when you're building in the contingencies, you know, where if you think the session is too easy, can you progress it? If it's too difficult, can you adapt it? So I think all those ingredients have to go in. And, and the last thing for me is that... <clears throat> I'd also like to think that, um, or I would encourage uh, young coaches to think about the four corners because it isn't just the technical. What, what's the social side like? Now, a lot of that's down to the coach's personality as well, something that we might touch on later about how the coach delivers. But I think the personality of the coach is really important to develop that rapport with the players I think the psychological corner where you're involving the players, you're building the self-esteem, you're making them feel good. And really, you've got them eating out the palm of your hand uh, when you get to that point, you know, where the players are respecting you. And, you know, it's, it's a great place to be as a coach. So I think for me, that, that planning isn't just about copying a session plan. It's all of the things I've just mentioned, which is a, a real time-consuming process. Moving on, when you're observing coaches work with players, what tends to be the most common deficiency you see, especially in young coaches? Because they're young, David, I've, I see, and I'm generalising here because there's a lot of really terrific uh, young coaches out there uh, who are way ahead of the game. But as a sort of general thing, I think... You sometimes see them getting frustrated when things aren't going to plan because sometimes when young coaches, and I take, for example, say our first or second year students who are just sort of being introduced, they're only 18, they're maybe just starting, um, they get frustrated. The other thing they tend to do is coach the session plan. So rather than coaching what they see because they don't have that knowledge base yet, they're kind of coaching the session plan. So whatever happens, I'm going to get this point in. So there's a tendency for them to do that. 
sometimes there's a tendency for them to overcoach only because they just want to they want to be the stars of the show and i understand that when, when you're kind of young but but good coaching sometimes is about being a little bit subtle as well and, and letting the players do the talking for you so there's sometimes a tendency to, to overcoach and and possibly the the third thing would be impatience they, they want to get to i mentioned it earlier when people want to work in the premier league they get frustrated i want to work with a professional club well hang on you're only 20 you're only just starting off in your journey you've only just completed this course give yourself a bit of time get yourself a bit of a reputation but the young men in a hurry which are kind of not just in football it's a it's a kind of common trend i think as you get old and more experienced you tend to relax more and, and certainly as you get more experienced in coaching you're not thinking about all the little small intricacies that some of the younger coaches start to think about because they're not quite sure of the process so they're kind of conscious of oh i've not intervened i'm stood in the one position so they're thinking about lots Whereas when you're quite experienced as a coach, it becomes much more natural. So, Jack, you've come across a lot of coaches in your time, both at a professional level and equally in, in the development stages as well. But what do you feel are the key traits and qualities of the top coaches that you've physically been involved with and experienced and observed? The key traits? Well... I think knowledge of subject, they are confident. I mean, experienced coaches, when you see them at work, there's an air of confidence about them. They've got good, sound knowledge. Um, I like to see qualities like humility, empathy, care and respect for the people that you're, you're working with. And I, and I think if you give that, it, it comes back at you in abundance. Um, and, 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 and as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of people like Dick Bakey, good friend of yours, somebody that I work with. I remember coming up to Bolton Wonders with yourself many years ago to put a session on. And he had these wonderful qualities that people just recognise straight away. But I also think, and I do encourage this in young coaches, that make sure that you've got values and you've got principles as a human being. Um, because rather than just switching it on when you're in front of a group, a group of players at a coaching session or a match day, you've got to live that life. I think the best people, they live that life. They don't just turn it on and off when they get to the training ground. That's, that's the way they are. And it comes across so natural and genuine and, and it just paints a great message. From your toolbox of coaching strategies, what do you feel every practice, regardless of the topic, should contain? Good question, David. Uh, for me, passion and enthusiasm. You've got to love what you do. And I've said this a few times. And, and uh, look, ever since I was involved in, in coaching, one of the things I've always said, it was the next best thing to being able to play. So when I'd finished playing and I got involved in coaching, I get a huge buzz from coaching. I absolutely love it. And, and I'm not saying everybody has to be like me, but, but show people that you're passionate about what you do. Be yourself, of course, but be passionate 
be enthusiastic in what you do because that message that you're trying to put across to your players, it comes across so easy. I think developing a rapport with your players, and I mentioned that earlier, that that's, tends to hit in the social corner where you've got this nice sort of rapport going with your players rather than feeling tense and getting a little bit aggressive when things aren't going wrong. Um, but I think those qualities... Um, Regardless of the topic you're doing, I think when you come in with those sorts of things, it sells it so well. But I also think, of course, you need you need to have your learning outcomes and and be able to put across people the understanding of what you want from players in terms of the roles and responsibilities. But be that person. It, you know, you, you can see when coaches are out there, and there's something. It's the first thing that comes across to me when I'm watching a young coach, you can see people with passion, confidence, okay? Some people haven't developed that just yet, but, but it hits you right away, and straight away you think, oh, this this could be an interesting session. But what, in your opinion, are the differences in coach education now from, from when you first started all those years ago? Wow. It's uh, quite considerable, uh, David. I mean, I would probably be classed as a dinosaur now because... When I first started back in the day, um, it was it was about the stop stand still. But the stop stand still has been much vilified, and and it's wrong. It, it wasn't as as kind of as as the phrase kind of suggests. It was a moment in the game where you would stop play, and then you could use question and answer or or guided discovery about what you might want them to do. Um, so I kind of liked that process because you threw, froze a moment in time where something had gone wrong for the players and, and then you could recreate that picture, but maybe with the player having a little bit more information on maybe what he could have done better. And I think from a learning point of view, um, that, that, was, that was good. Fr from a, a coach educator point of view as an FA tutor, on the level twos, we used to have 6v6. So you did a technical and skill as your first topic, and then you did a 6v6. And we used start positions. Now, I've started to reintroduce start positions on these coaching courses I'm running at UCFB, and I find them really helpful. And I'll tell you why, because it allows the players to work on the ball, around the ball, and away from the ball in a structured element to the session. Now, we can't keep being in the structured side of things, but just, just to help people understand what, in relation to your topic, so there's our start position, what is it you want from this player on the ball, whatever that might be. Then I'm going to go around, and then I'm going to go away, and you can start to help build the picture up. Then, of course, there's got to be an element of free play where you, you've got to be able to try and recognise what it is you're coaching. And, and that's the difficult bit. But, but I think if you expect people to go straight in to coaching and free play, and that's what they do now, I think that's really, really hard. I think we've got to help the learner coaches by giving them this structure. And, and I think it helps immensely. It helped me no end. I've worked with... I've worked with top players who've gone into coaching, had fantastic knowledge, 
but really just couldn't find a way of bringing that information out. And as I'm speaking, there's people's, you know, pictures coming in my head. And, and I, they've said to me that having had those structures, it helped them immensely because they had great knowledge. They played the game at top level. They just didn't really know a way of bringing it out. And they found this was quite a, a useful way of doing that. Um, so, so I think the old courses um, had a lot of benefits. There was a huge emphasis on technical detail. And, and I find the modern coach courses since 2016, we started a new wave of coaches, coaching courses. They kind of ended just at the end of the pandemic. We've gone into another new wave that I, I'm not involved in. But I, I do find the courses now are becoming very much more academic. They're much more theory based and, and there is a lack of technical detail. Um, so I think that would be the two distinct things I, I would sort of say between old and new. When you're running sessions and you go into free play, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of players. There's lots of distraction, not 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 distraction within the session, but a distraction for the coach. Well, yes. Because they, they cannot process what's currently taking place and aligning it to the actual topic, the the detail that goes within the within the topic. So structuring the practices uh, or starting practices where it is a little easier. Let's put it that way. We're not saying this job's easy. We're just saying it's easier to actually get your key points over in a, in a layered, structured way and a format that is uh, easier for, for the coaches to actually... To, to register now well, just, just on that Keith um, the, the uh, I think the important thing is that for the learner coaches we're giving them some control you know when when you go to a structure so when you know what your start position is you're in control of that you know what you're going to say to the player on the ball yeah so so you're giving them some control rather than expecting a learner coach to come on to a, a level two or a B license and they go straight into this free play element, which is really difficult. It's difficult enough for experienced coaches, but it's really difficult for young coaches, new coaches. And, and I just don't think we're doing them any favours by going straight into that and expecting to get good results. So, Jack, if you had to write down a list of ideas that would help coach education, what, what would you put on that list? Well, I think, having said what we've just said there, uh, go back to basics. I think over the years there's been a tendency to throw out all the old stuff and start new. There was some good stuff. By all means, introduce new things. That's the way life is. I get that, but don't throw out things that were valuable. So get back to bases, basics. I'd like us to return um, to the practical element of coaching because that's the reason. And not everybody that goes on a coaching course is going to be working in a professional game. The vast majority just want to help the sons or the daughters at grassroots football and if somebody came to my, chapped on my door now and asked me, how could I help, how could you help me become a better coach? It would be along the practical elements that I would sort of start to focus on. 
I just think sometimes we're getting too deep in theoretical stuff. You know, um, we, we, we had, as you know, on the level two, you go into things like motivation. I mean, I'm a coach. I'm not a psychologist. I, I, I've got an understanding of how important motivation is in football, but I'm not going to get in depth. We're doing these for an hour and a half um, sometimes. So, so, but listen, there's got to be some workshops, but make them more sort of practical base. Make the theory sessions a little bit lighter and put a bigger emphasis on the practical session. We may even have to reduce the courses a little bit in order to do that. But I mean, what they've done now, Keith uh, and David, is that um, you'll know that the FA Level 1 now is completely online. I mean, how can that be a coaching course that's online? FA First Aid online. How can you do first aid online? You know, and I delivered these. I delivered the FA Safeguarding and the First Aid for 23 years. You know, and, and we put a big emphasis on these workshops and having discussions. Safeguarding is massively important. Now it's online. And look, you might argue that your most important course is the FA Level 1 because it's the first introduction with the public. So shouldn't we be putting something on that's a bit more meaningful? And I just wonder, is it a, a cost-cutting exercise? And is that the reason it's been done? change for change rather than change for benefit. You know, we look at we look at the actual processes that are taking place within coach education. And, and I, I dare say, I can only speak for uh, my experience in working for the English FA as an affiliate tutor like yourself for many years, that you know, we're changing things without real deep thought around the benefit of the end user and where we're going into a lot of classroom online type stuff, which has a benefit because of the logistics. But as you've rightly said, it's football or sport in general is about activity. It's about learning on the job. And I know the management of sessions is important, how to manage it and how to look at certain pitfalls, which is good to get classroom involvement, but ultimately it's got to be about the ball rolling. Of course it is. And, and, and the other thing I would just sort of add to that, Keith, is that um, I think we need to return to some competence-based approach to coaching because I sometimes feel that the, the kind of almost glorified attendance courses, um, so people attend a course and they get a qualification. Now, when I ran the coach education program at Bolton Wanderers, and, and it was a very successful program. I mean, you know, you worked on it. And, and it, it was hugely successful. But we used to get people traveling from overseas, from Greece, from Brazil. I can think of people from India. We'd get people traveling all the way here to the UK to stay local, to do a week's long course or however long it was, um, because the qualifications were very credible. They were very credible. And, and what I'd hate to see happen with these qualifications that were highly regarded. And the reason people came here was because they didn't just want to go to or take the courses or the equivalent sort of courses that they would run in their own countries because they were 
attendance courses and people passed. I'd hate to see us get to that point. And it's important for the to have credibility for these qualifications. And that's why it's important to be competence-based. Not everybody can be a coach. Not everybody can be a top coach. Um, it, it's just not possible, you know. And, and I think that we have to have some sort of criteria that gives people an opportunity to see the areas that they need to work harder in, you know, to achieve a qualification, go away and get a bit of practice, you know, and, and uh, that happens many times and people come through that process and they're much better coaches at the end of that, that process than they were if they'd uh, just, just been given something. So I, I think returning to some sort of competence-based approach um, and it's really important to have that integrity of the qualification. You know, I just feel with the new wave of courses, it's it's kind of moved away from that approach. Well, Jack, uh, final question, I somewhat along the, the same path. Where do you think the future of coach education is currently heading? Well, um, years ago, we had regional coach developers who sort of manage the region, say in the Northwest, um, maybe the guy called Graham Keeling, who used to do the, the Northwest, that would be Liverpool, uh, Manchester, Cheshire. So, so, so we, had, we had people like that in place. Um, then more recently, we had the county coach developers who were in charge of each of the county FAs. They've gone now, David, and, and I don't know who's there to replace them. I know the FA have taken over the responsibility of the delivery of the coaching qualifications, um, but I don't know whether they have somebody in place who oversees that role. Um, and I just think it's important, and I think it's important that once you, once you take a, a coach educator on board, I think... I think they have to be mentored. I think it's really important that there's there's that process going on so is that we're kind of singing from the same hymn sheet. What I'd also like to see with the um, courses, because they have reduced, um, as I said, the level one's completely online. I think the level two, level two is six days contact time. So, so they're kind of reducing even more which for me then says that there's got to be a greater emphasis on CPD. So the county FAs, there's got to be some sort of CPD programs, much more than there is now that helps develop the, the coaches. You know, I think that's ever so important. Well, Jack, I've got to thank you ever so much for creating the time to come on the podcast you're certainly one of my dearest friends, highly regarded, highly respected individual. But for those that don't know you, you're one of the nicest men and one of the most honest and most humblest of people that, you know, you, you couldn't wish to meet. So in action, there's nothing better than learning from somebody who sets a good standards, high standards, but consistent. For as long as I've known you, that's all you've ever been. You, you, you do walk the talk and say what you say and, yeah, you do what it says on the tin. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also, you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.